0: I'm a little nervous. (laughs) We're going to need to pray again, Jesus. (laughs) No, I'm really excited, and I consider it an honor. Uh, I always consider it an honor to be here. I, th- I think that uh, sharing when, when, a, when a pastor shares his pulpit with you, I, I've always found that a distinct privilege and I don't take it lightly. But then when my father, who uh, in, in my mind I don't deserve to be standing here, he should be here while I sit and listen when he says, no, I want you to preach. I I, I just need you to know today that God has something very special for today, and uh, I, I honor our our pastor here and uh, my mom as well, Pastor Renee, for uh, they've done this far longer than I. They're far more capable than I, and yet they see something in me, and uh, so I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work today. I'm. I'm just really excited, uh, something, something is starting. We've been at our youth conference all weekend, and uh, wow, what an incredible time we had. God has just really been moving and so many incredible things happening. I'll just tell you one quick story. This is just me personally, and, I'm t- and I know that when your students return home, they'll have so many stories, but I'll just tell you this one about me. Uh, my son, who's nine years old, and I often talk about him when I'm here. He'll be 10 here in a couple of months. At the conclusion of the service last night, we had just, just had a, a, a powerful service. God moved. Uh, students were heal, healed and, and filled with the Holy Ghost and all these things. And, and I returned to the altar, to, to my seat, and my son was there. And he looks up at me with, those, with that blonde hair and those big brown eyes. And he says, Dad. And he's got this excitement all over his face. And he said, I, 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 I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I spoke in tongues for the first time tonight. Oh, man. And, and I thought to myself, I don't care what it took to pull off this conference. That moment was worth it. And maybe that's a little selfish of me, but I, I don't really care. I it was like, I was crying, and I hugged him, and, he's, and, and it was just an incredible moment. And I can tell you that he was not the only one. He wasn't the only one. God has been so good. Uh, Thank you for sending your teenagers. Thank you for raising money. And I don't know what all kind of fundraisers you did over here, but I just want to tell you that an eternal impact was made on the lives of these students this weekend. And uh, I want to thank you for that. Second thing I want to mention to you is we kick off 21 days of prayer and feasting today. All of our campuses are joining together. And I want to encourage you to jump online uh, I don't know if you guys have the link for us, and sign up. We're, we're praying for 21 hours a day for 21 days, 21 hours for 21 days. Now that doesn't mean you have to stop and pray for 21 hours, but pick a time slot and pray with us. I was listening to a, a pastor who I greatly admire one, admire, one of the leading churches in our country, and He said, and and there were senior pastors and associate pastors and and everything gathered from all over. There are thousands of people there learning how they do church, trying to learn. And he made this statement. He said, people come from everywhere and they're willing to do what we do, but they're not willing to pray like we pray. And I thought how that reflects so often or can reflect so often uh, how we view Christianity we're willing to do the right thing but are we really willing to pray to the to the level it takes to see God do what he wants to do and that's what these 21 days of prayer and feasting are all about. Praying and believing that God is going to do everything he's promised to do in your life. And so I just declare over you right now that whatever you're praying for is going to happen. Whatever you're asking God for is going to happen. But will you be, would you be willing to pray like you've never prayed before to see God do something that he's never done before? So here's the link right here. You can take a picture of it on your phone. You can even sign up right now. I would not be mad at you. Now, if I find you on Instagram, the Lord knows. But hey, jump on there and sign up with us. Uh, And it's going to be a great time. Starts today, 21 days. How many of you are going to pray with us for the next three weeks? All right. If you're watching online, so glad to have you with us. You know, every week I find myself talking with someone just that says to me, hey, pastor, I just want you to know you preached a great message Sunday. And I'm like, man, you weren't even there. This just happened to me last Sunday. Like, man, you weren't even there. He said, no, we were able to tune in, our whole family, and watch live to the service. And that message was so impactful to us. And so wherever you are, I just want you to know that God's going to speak to you today. We're not bound by space and time, but the power of God is going to invade right where you are, and he's going to encourage you and lift you up. Can we welcome all of our online family that's watching? Mm. I'm going to preach a little bit different type of message than I normally do, uh, but I I want to just kind of encourage you. I'm going to bounce around scripture just a little bit, uh, so you may not can turn to every verse with me. I'm going to tell you several stories, but in it, I believe God's going to unlock some things about himself in you. Teach us some things about who he is. You know, we call him God, and we've sung a number of songs today that talk about worshiping the name of God. So much goes into a name, especially in scripture. Uh, I don't know, I don't, how do you remember naming your kids? Did you have any fights with your spouse about what to name your kids? I, I did. I did, and, and I'm, not, I'm not opposed to saying this even though she's not here today, because I said it in Needleton and Beaumont with her sitting on the front row. She wanted to name, my wife wanted to name our daughter Love. I said, Lindsay, we are not hippies. She said, but it's beautiful, Randy, and it's unique and it's it's wonderful. I said, no, we are not doing it. We fought over my son's name forever. And then one day we were literally driving down the road in the car, and we just at the same time said, we're gonna name him Randy. And we named, we called my dad, we said, Dad, do, we, do you mind if we name our son after you? And you can only imagine how that conversation went. <laughs> So much goes into a name. I'm so grateful that my parents came up with the name Randon for me because it gave me this incredible opportunity day after day after day to say the words, no, it's Brandon, but without the B. (laughs) Every time you call AT&T, it's no, 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 it's not Brandon. It's Randon without the B. Does anybody else have a name like that? Now, I'm going to tell you what, it's unique and no one else has it. Uh, and it, but it identifies me. When you say the name Randon Clark, there is no doubt who you are talking about because it identifies me and it separates me and it distinguishes me. When you hear that name, words come to your mind and pictures come to your mind and I hope that they're all good. But a name distinguishes and identifies, it, it puts, immediately when you hear the name of someone you know, it connects you with feelings and emotions about them. They might be good and they might be bad. And the same thing happens with God, especially as we look in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they were very serious about their names. We look at the life of Abraham. Abraham, uh, the Bible says that God called him out of the land of his father, out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, Ur of the Chaldeans is in modern day Iraq, and Abraham's family did not worship the one true living God. In fact, in his city, the primary God that they worshiped, they were polytheistic, meaning they worshiped uh, multiple gods, but the primary God that they worshiped was a God named Nana, or the moon god, the moon goddess. And they would worship Nana because they believed that this god controlled all of the life cycle of the earth, all of the heavens and and everything that happened here. They were in control of the cycle of the seasons. They would set their measurement for their yearly calendar by the phases of the moon or their moon god. They were supreme because they they believed that the moon or the moon god was the source of all fertility for crops, for herds, and for their families. So if you wanted a good crop, you would make sacrifices to Nana, the moon god, that they might make your crops or your herds more fertile and you would have a better year. This is the world in which Abraham had been raised in, he had heard stories about another god, but this is what he was raised to worship. And, but no one spoke to these gods. Now we know today why these gods didn't speak to men, because they are not real, they are fake. The moon is just a moon, it is not a god. <laughs> But they didn't know that at that time. So they would worship these gods, but there was no interaction with their God. And so when uh, the true and living God speaks out of the heavens to Abraham and tells Abraham, hey, I want you to follow me. I'm taking you out of the land of, of your father and I'm gonna lead you to the place where I want you to go. How many of you know that if you had never heard God speaking to you or speaking to anyone you know and suddenly a booming voice calls your name and there's no one else around you might be willing to follow so Abraham follows God but know this he didn't fully know who he was following at the time he didn't know what to call God he didn't know what he didn't know how to interact with this God he just knew that this God who he had remembered faint stories about From his childhood, from things that had happened years and generations before, he remembered the stories and he decided to follow this God. He gets to the land of Canaan and he builds an altar to what we know as the God Yahweh or Jehovah. He gives God this name. He doesn't know what to call him, so he calls him Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, as time tracks along, the name of God became so holy in the Jewish tradition and Hebrew tradition that they actually took the vowels out of the name, so when we spell it Y-A-H-W-E-H, they just wrote it as Y-H-W-H because it was too holy even to write the full name out. This is the God that Abraham begins to worship, though he doesn't know all about him. The name became so holy that in the 3rd century, the Jews, uh, they they stopped saying the name Yahweh or Jehovah altogether because they were afraid of taking the Lord's name in vain. We don't do that in America today. We are free and willing to take the Lord's name in vain, aren't we? And yet, the Jews in the 3rd century said, we're not even going to speak it at all. The fact of the matter is, we don't even know for sure that it it is pronounced Yahweh or Jehovah because it completely died in the 3rd century. That's how holy they took the name of God. Abraham begins to learn about God. He begins to discover things about God. And I love what happens in Genesis chapter 14, verse 22. Abraham gives us some insight into the God that he is now serving as he is learning about God. He says these words, Abraham calls God the Lord God most high, creator of heavens and earth. Now I want you to note here, Abraham says three things that reflect what he knows about God up until this point. First of all, he says Lord. The word Lord is a connection between how Abraham viewed his stature or his status in relation to God. Lord meant I am your servant. So Abraham said, I want to make clear, I don't know everything about this God, but what I do know is I serve you. The second thing he said was... God most high. Now, when I read this in my mind, I think he's just God and he's, he's big and he's huge because I only serve one God anyway. But remember, Abraham came from a society that served multiple gods. So when he says God most high, he has not recognized quite yet that he is the one and only God, but he is making a declaration that of all the other gods that my family serves and has served for generations, you are the most high. You're above all of them. And when we live in a world today that makes a God out of everything, and we tend to worship all types of things, it is important that we make sure we put God above every other thing in our life. He will have no idol before him. There will be no other gods before him. And so we have to push him up and say he is our Lord God most high. Then he said, you're the creator of heavens and the earth. You see, every God that he worshipped had something that they were in control of, something that they contributed to the earth. And he determined somewhere along the way, I remember the story of of my ancestors saying, God, let there be. And, And when God said, let there be, and suddenly the world was created. And he said, you, God, are the one that created this whole thing. I want you to know that the God you serve is a creator. And when he speaks life into things, things begin to shift and things begin to change around you. This is what Abraham is recognizing about God. And it is revealed to us in what he calls God. It isn't really until a few chapters later, somewhere around Genesis chapter 17, that, that Abraham determines that this is the only true and living God and I'm going to serve him alone. Up until this point, it is God most high above the other gods. Abraham, as he discovers things about God, he reveals them to us. He reveals them to his descendants by his name. Here's another story for you um, about the importance of names and, and what they mean and how a parent would name a child and he would speak things over their lives. The prophet Samuel has died, David is out fighting and running and hiding and there's a man named Nabal, and, and he had some sheep and some herds. And while David was out fighting, people were trying to come get to those, sheeps, those sheep and, and those herds and his flocks. And, and so David protected all of them. Well, at the end of the battle... David and his men are hungry. They've been fighting. They're run out of food. Nabal is having a huge party because it's time to uh, shear the sheep. And there's this huge party going on. They're having a barbecue. So David sends word to Nabal and says, hey, man, we protected your sheep. Can we come to your barbecue? Nabal starts mocking David. David. He starts laughing at him and cursing him and mocking him. Well, word gets back to David. Understand, we often think of David as the worshiper, right? As the one who was dancing along with the Ark of the Covenant, but David was also a man of war and a man of battle. And when he hears these words, he gets so angry. And he vows, I'm going to kill that man. I'm going to kill Nabal and all of his entire family. And I'll eat what I want to eat because I'm going to kill them all. And he starts packing his horses. He tells his men, get get ready. We're going to battle again. Nabal had a wife, though, named Abigail. She had a little sense on her. She hears word about it. She says, go get some bread, go get some food, go get some gifts, and I want you to pack it, and we're going to talk to David right now. And she she don't even tell her husband. She takes off after David, and she falls down on his feet, and she says, I'm so sorry for my husband. Can I read the words that she says to David about her own husband? Here's what she says in 1 Samuel 25 and 25. Nabal is a bad-tempered boar. Now, a a boar here is not a pig. A a boar is an unruly, unmannered. uh, Look right here. This this is the definition uh, exactly. This cracked me up when I looked it up. Here's what it means a churlish, rude, or unmannerly person, a country bumpkin. Dictionary.com describes Bohr as a country bumpkin. She says he is a country bumpkin. He is a bad-tempered, unmannered, just, I don't even know what else to say about him. But please don't pay any attention to what he said. He is a fool, watch this, just like his name means. You see, the name Nabal literally translates as fool. She comes to David and she says, listen, don't punish us all. Don't even punish him. He's a fool, but blame it on his mom and daddy because they named him fool. So David has mercy. They go, they eat. Nabal ends up getting sick and dying. And Abigail then turns and becomes the wife of David. Can somebody say upgrade? Husbands, turn to your wife right now, look at them, say, don't you be getting any ideas. (laughs) Wives look back at them with one eyebrow raised and say, then don't be a bore. (laughs) She gets an upgrade, but notice, she said, he is a fool exactly like his name describes because the Bible teaches us that especially in the Old Testament, your name described your character, your nature, your actions one more story and then I'm going to tell you three names or two names of God that can change your life you may not know Moses Exodus 30 31 32 33 right there they're they're in the wilderness and he says to God uh, Lord show me your ways Lord show me your ways I need to know what you're doing and I need to know how you're doing and I need to know where you are going Exodus 33 God says I tell you what I'll just go with you Moses says no Lord I need you to show me your glory. God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He says, Moses, I want you to come up to this rock. I'm going to hide you in the cleft and a, and a little a break in the rock, and I'm going to put you there. But I'm going to cover you as I pass before you because if you see me then if you see me with your own eyes you'll have to die and I don't want that. So I'm going to cover you and then I'm going to pass before you and here's what God said. As I pass as I make my goodness pass before you, I'm going to call out my names. And then when I've gone by, I will remove my hand and you will be able to see me from the backside. Isn't that just like God, how it often works in our lives? When he is doing things, it seems like he's hidden from us. We can't see what he's doing. But if we could hear his name, it might be an encouragement to us that his goodness is passing before us. And even when I can't see it, I can hear it and I can know it. If you're struggling with sickness in your body, if you could just hear the name Jehovah Rapha, the God, that heals it might encourage you the doctors are saying this and that but if I could hear the name God I can't see you but I know your name if you're struggling with lack if you're needing a job if you're needing to get out of debt if you're needing a house if you could just hear the name Jehovah Jireh the God who provides it would encourage you and lift you up if you're struggling with anxiety and stress and worry if you could hear the name Jehovah Shalom the God of peace it would stir up something inside of you And suddenly, when he removes his hand, you'll say, whoa, goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. And I'm going to go dwell in the house of the Lord because I've got to worship that God. But sometimes in the middle, we're hidden and we can't see and we don't know what's going on. Don't worry. You're just like Moses in the cleft of the rock. God's got you and he's working even when you can't see. Just remind yourself of the names of God. There's, 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 there's something about the name of God if we only knew. That's why in Scripture there are so many names of God because every time they learned something new about God, they would give Him a new name. Every time they discovered what God was good at and what He wanted to do, they would give Him a new name to describe His character, His nature, His actions. So when we are in need... We don't have to just call on some unnamed, unspecific God, but we can call on the God that we need right now in our very situation. I'm going to give you two, maybe three names of God. It depends on how slow that 10-minute clock will run. (laughs) See, we know the names Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi. We, we, We know many of these names. But there's, there's, there's a few names in, in which Jehovah Nisi is one I want to share with you. And if we really understood it, we could understand more about God. Moses comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, we've got to go fight the Amalekites. They're a warring nation. They're a battling nation. And, and they're ready to fight. We have to go fight them. He said, I'm going to go up on the top of the mountain, on the top of the hill, looking over the battleground. And you get your men and you go fight. And as I raise my hands above the battle... God's going to be with you. And so all day they fought, and every time Moses would raise his hands over the battle, the children of Israel would surge forward and begin to win the war. But every time Moses' arms would become tired and his arms would drop, The the Amalekites would push back and the Israelites would begin to lose. And so two men come alongside Moses. They realize all this and they said, Moses, you can't hold your hands up the whole time by yourself. We're going to lift them up for you. And by the end of the day, God gave the Israelites victory over the Amalekites. And so Moses builds an altar and he calls God, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. He said, when we raised our hands, we were raising a banner, we were raising the Lord as a banner over, or the banner of victory over our battles. In those days, when when armies would go to war, it was hand-to-hand combat. You may have seen movies from from uh, old times when they were fighting with swords and spears and clubs and shields and whatever else they, whatever weapon they could fashion. And it was a it was an ugly hand-to-hand combat. And oftentimes, soldiers would get dis- disoriented in the battle and they would lose track of where the enemy was and where their where their army was. And so they would create banners, tall flags to hang at the front of the battle lines and they would raise them up and so on one side it would be the flag of the children of Israel and on the other side it would be the flag, the banner of the Amalekites. So whenever you got into a war and you started battling, sometimes as a soldier you would end up fighting and battling and you would end up looking up and, and your army was way over there by the flag and you were off isolated surrounded by your enemy. And so if I could see my own flag, if I could see my own banner, I would always get back to where my strength is, to where my support is, to where my army is. And so when Moses, realizing this, calls God the Banner of Victory, he said, "We always have to remember we've got to get back to the place where God is lifted up, where we can get back to our people, where we're not isolated, where we're not caught up on our own, but we we can get the strength back of being with our other people that are fighting. You know what? That's what Sunday morning is all about. That's what life teams are all about. We the enemy wants to isolate you and pick you off, and and you're fighting, and you don't even you look." up and you are all by yourself but the enemy he's trying to get you there because you're an easier target so every sunday morning we come together as a body of believers and we lift up the name of jesus and we raise our banner of victory because what we know is we're stronger together than we are out there on our own you look up and you've missed one sunday or two sundays turns to three and four and you feel isolated and alone get back to the banner of victory Life teams, join a life team. Get involved. Why? You're in there with your people and you're learning and you're growing and you're fighting battles together. We're stronger together than we are alone. God is our banner of victory. I want to declare in your life that the banner of victory is being raised. Battles you've been fighting for a long time are coming to an end. The the sun is setting on that battle and by the end of the day, the battle is going to turn to your favor and you will win. Number two, Abraham, God has spoken to him that he's going to have a son. He's going, to have, he's going to be the father of many nations, but Abraham is as old as dirt, and he doesn't have a child. You know what I mean? He's old as dirt. And so Sarah comes to him, his wife. Um... She's not dry dirt, it's still a little wet and like muddy, you know, she, she, she hasn't quite dried out yet, but she's pretty old too, right? Like, I mean, she's old. She comes to Moses, and she's like, Moses, I can't have any kids, man, like, we've been doing this for a century. <laughs> I can't have any kids, so I'm going to give you my servant, my slave girl, and you're going to have a child with her. Now, from our lens of our society, this seems crazy. Or what are you doing? But it was actually very common in their world. Remember, they're just discovering these things about God. They were living in a different culture, learning about God. And when a wife was barren, this is what they did, is they would bring the servant to the husband that they might have an heir. That heir, that son, would literally become the son of Sarah and the legitimate heir to whatever uh, that man, in this instance, Abraham, had. So in their world, this makes perfect sense. So she brings Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant, and uh, she's going to have a son. Well, then Sarah gets upset about it. Ima- imagine this situation going bad, right? Sarah gets upset about it. She starts treating him bad. Then Hagar gets all upset, and she starts getting all high and mighty because she's going to have the actual son, and Sarah couldn't. So she starts positioning herself above Sarah, and this thing is going bad. And so Sarah goes to Abraham, and Abraham says, it's your servant. Deal with her as you wish. So as it turns out, it's it's going bad. It's not going well. Hagar takes off running. She finds herself on the side of the road, running and trying to escape all of this drama. She finds herself on the side of the road. She feels left out. She feels alone. She's worried. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know where to go. The angel appears to her. And she begins talking. And and I want to read to you these words that that she said. Let me get back to my notes here. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. She's going to give God a new name because she learned something about God. This Lord who had spoken to her, she said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Here's what she said. She said, I'm going to call you El Roi, the God who sees me. I want to encourage you today, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever injustice you may be facing, whatever you may have caused or not cause, whatever you may be a part of or not a part of, and you have been praying and you've been crying out, and you've been wondering, does God even care? Does anyone even care? I want you to know today, in this room or watching online, God sent me to tell you that He is the God who sees you. He sees you, and when he saw her, he, he, she received a word for her life and for her son's life that spoke future to them. God wants to speak future to you. He wants to share his plan with you. He sees you. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let him lie to you. God sees you. Number three, and this is, this is the last name here. In Ezekiel chapter 48 Verse 35, Ezekiel is a very tough uh, book to read for the children of Israel. It's a tough prophetic word. He was one of the major prophets, and and his word was not a good one. It was not a fluffy one. It was one of difficulty. He had prophesied that Jerusalem would fall, that it would be taken over, and that the children of Israel would be spread out and, and, and taken into captivity. But right here at the end of the verse... He he makes this last statement right at the end of the book. He says, the distance around the city will be six miles. And from that day, the name of the city will be, and he gives God a new name, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. Say that with me, Jehovah Shammah. It means the Lord is there. And here's what he is declaring. He is speaking prophetically into the future. And he's saying, you're going to go through some difficult times. You're going to go through some things you never wanted to go through. You never wanted to walk through. But I want you to know that when you are in the middle of it, God is already there. His presence is already there. I I love this about God. Not only can he be right here with us today on this Sunday morning, but he is already with you this week. And when you get to your troubles, when you get to your difficulties, when you face your difficult times, he is already there waiting on you. And you arrive shocked and he says, no worries, I've got everything under control because I am there. That's the kind of God we serve. But I I want you to dive a fraction deeper with me, if you will. Not only is his presence waiting for us in the future when we get there. Not only is it that Jesus said, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Why? Because Jesus knew God is not bound by space and time. He's there. His presence is there. But there's something deeper. In this verse, Ezekiel is prophesying about the city of Jerusalem. Remember, the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. It would be taken over. It would be brought to ruins. In fact, even now, the city has been uh, destroyed and then rebuilt on top of time and time and time again over the centuries. And he's prophesying this. But then he speaks and he said, I want you to know that there's going to be the city, then there's going to be a wall, it's going to be six miles. But he said, I want you to know that the Lord is there. Why? Because he is speaking this. Though the city has been destroyed, I will restore it. You see, this name of God is a declaration that God is a restorer. Pastor Rand, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened in my life and some uh, were my fault and some was others' fault and some things happened to me and some things happened because of me. And God wants you to know today, He is a restorer. The name Jehovah Shammah it doesn't just mean God is there. It means, hey, guess what? I'm going to restore it for you and I will be there waiting on you to introduce you into all the things you thought you had lost. Can I give you five things really quickly that God wants to restore in your life? Number one is this you can write these down you can look them up later take a picture number one is this He who's going to restore your health, according to Jeremiah 30 and 17. If you need God to restore your health, would you just wave your hand at me? He is the God who restores our health. Number two, he wants to restore your wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1 through 3, chapter 8, verse 18, and Job 42 and 10. He will restore your wealth. What the enemy took from you, get ready. He's going to restore it in your life. If you need God to restore some wealth, some store, some things that the enemy has taken, from you. Just wave your hand and get ready. God is a restorer of wealth. Number three God is the God who restores time. He restores time. The time you thought you lost. The time you thought was stolen from you. Everything that the canker worm stole from you and ate away from you. God is going to restore the time in your life. You thought you lost years while your son or your daughter was out chasing the things of this world but God says don't worry. I'm going to restore the time. Number four he restores your soul, your heart, your mind, your emotion. He is the God who restores the soul. If you've been battling anxiety and stress and worry and depression and, and maybe you're struggling and your bipolar or all the things that we have in our t- world today, I want you to know He is the God who restores your soul. I speak over your life, health and energy and, and vitality into your soul. Number five. We're going to read this from Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 13 verse 3. God your God will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and He'll pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. I want you to know that God is a God who restores everything you lost. It's not on the list, Pastor Randon. No worries. He restores everything you lost in your life. What was taken from you, what was scattered on every corner of Houston, Texas, and around the world. He's going back and He's picking up the pieces. And He's dusting them off. And He's healing them. And He's bringing them back to you. He is going to restore everything that has been scattered in your life you said I'll never be whole again he says yes you will I can never be loved again yes you will I can never be touched and, and, and loved and, and and no one's gonna want to live with me for all the things that have happened in my life yes he will Pastor and no one wants to do business with me because of all that has happened. Don't worry about that. God is restoring your name in the world. My family is scattered, Pastor Randon. I haven't talked with my daughter in years. I haven't seen my son in months. My, my husband won't hardly talk to me. We have no marriage. We live together, but we have no marriage. I want you to know that God is restoring families. Everything that you've lost what a beautiful name, what a beautiful name it is. He's our banner of victory. He's the God who sees you, and he's the God who restores. If you need restoration in your life, would you just stand with me and lift your hands for a moment? The presence of God is so strong in this place right now. Just receive right now. Just just hold your hands out and and just let God pour into you. The Holy Spirit is working right now. He's, He's restoring souls right now. He is restoring families right now. He's working. He's doing things. He's encouraging people. If you're at home right now, if you're at work right now, wherever you might be, just take a moment. If you can't lift your hands, just close your eyes and let God work in you for just a second. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. May I get out of the way. May you be increased right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I declare today that the God who restores Jehovah Shammah, you're here right now. Do your work do your work. Lord, I see things moving right now. I see things moving in the lives of your people. I see pieces coming together. I see things beginning to rattle as your power touches them and things that haven't lived in so many years, life is being poured into them right now. Oh, we receive you right now, Jesus. We receive you right now. There's just something about your name, God. What a beautiful, beautiful name it is. There's no rival. There is none like you. We lift you up today. We will worship your name. Why don't we take a moment? Let's just worship together. Let God keep touching you. Our pastor is going to come, but but let's just continue to worship for just a moment. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name that you have no, and you have no wrong.